Uh, all right, Acts chapter 2, if you will turn there. And what I'm going to get you to do is turn to Acts chapter 2, but also kind of hold your place over in Acts chapter 4, because Acts chapter 4 expounds on this part of Acts chapter 2. So we're going to be, if you're in my Bible, you're flipping back and forth one page. If you're on an app, you're up and down, but just know we're going to kind of be in two places this morning. We're continuing a series called Life Together. And we're talking about the importance of the body of Christ and living the Christian life together. And we're using Acts chapter 2 as our model. Acts chapter 2 is the account of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples and what happened immediately after that. They began to preach. The church in Jerusalem began to form. And Acts chapter 2, it shows us exactly how that earliest church operated for the glory of God and for the good of people. And we have been in just this mode uh, for the last 18 months two years related to the pandemic uh, where we have been isolated, fragmented, whether it be ideologically or tangibly. And this, this passage of scripture to me says, hey, here's what we should be as the body of Christ, especially in these moments. So I'm going to get you to stand. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 45. And <clears throat> Again, it comes right in the middle of our of, of a three week series that is over Acts two forty two to forty seven. But we're just going to read forty four to forty five. And if you're our guest, we say this phrase: the very words at the end of the main text. So here's what it says: And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You can be seated. Now there is a, a contrast between the community life that we see in Acts chapter 2 with the earliest church and the, communi- the way that we experience community life in the church of Jesus Christ in 21st century America. And I want us to take a hard look at just what these two verses are saying and maybe think about it practically in light of our own church and our own lives. So here's what I noticed. So last week we talked about the church was devoted to the same things. Uh, We said they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And we we talked all about that. This is the, the same doctrines, the same disciplines. They were devoted to the same things. Today we come to this. Uh, verses 44 and 45, and we see that the church, the earliest church, is sharing like family. They're sharing like family. So this is not, in Acts chapter 2, in any way an individual sport. But it says they had all things in common. So they practice what I'm going to call radical community. Radical community. And, and it is when you think about it from our, our perspective. So just look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, <clears throat> we are together sort of right now, both online and in person. We're together. Uh, but we leave here. And we're not going to be together for the most part 
until next Sunday when hopefully we come all together again. They were together daily. So there's more of a, a daily rhythm. It's more radical than just showing up at church on Sunday, but it was more of a, a practice of life together. Part of that is their culture, how the culture worked compared to how ours worked. But part of it was their in- intensity as it related to community. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 sort of begins to illustrate this a little bit more. So like I said, we're going to turn back and forth. But it says in Acts 4.32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So the first thing that we find out is that the earliest church, the Jerusalem church, they were of one heart and soul. They were unified in the spirit. So you can imagine, if you think about this for a moment, if you can just place yourself back sort of in that moment in history, all the dynamics going on. First of all, you have the Romans, the idea of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and all the good things that the Romans bring to the, to the land. And they've got wide roads now. There's more wealth in the area now. They, all those things. And so some people are probably bent politically toward Rome, right? But then you've got the, the, the rabbis of the day that influence in different ways the school of Hallel and Shammai that are basically saying, uh, you know, you've got to figure out how to operate inside this world and apply the the Torah. And then you've got this radical rabbi, Jesus, who says it all boils down to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He predicts that he's going to die on a cross and be raised again three days later. Then he actually does it. And so now you have this group of people that are following him. They have political complexity around them. But what we find is that they were unified in spirit, one heart, one soul. Paul uh, describes the church at Philippi in the same way, sort of admonishing them toward this one heart and one soul. In Philippians 1, 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whatever I come, whenever I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing. This is the part you need to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this, in essence, for us as 21st century Bay Area Church, in essence, this is where we should be unified at one heart, one soul, standing side by side, standing firm in unity for the faith of the gospel, for the good news that Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins, that there's hope in the darkness, that he's coming back, and we should be unified here. All the other stuff is periphery. And this is how they were. They were unified, it says, in in heart and soul. But then it goes on to say, both in Acts 2.44 and Acts 4.32, that they had everything in common. 4.32 says, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They shared like family. Now, some people look at this and go, well, that's 
communism. That's socialism. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people unified around Christ, worshiping him who said, for the good of the body, for the good of the people, I'm going to give up everything I have, if need be, voluntarily to serve them, to take care of us together. See, so they had everything in common. They shared like family. They gave sacrificially for the good of the, the community. It's interesting, the, the Acts 4, 34, as it begins to sort of un, unpack what this looked like, it, it said there was not a needy person among them. Can you imagine that? In, in the, I mean, that had to be attractive in the day. Because... Outside of the body of Christ, there were needy people, and the body of Christ would reach them. But inside the body of Christ, it says that there, were, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Can you imagine that for a second? This is radical community, right? I mean, let's just say... Any properties that you have, possessions that you own for the sake of the the body of Christ, we downsize. Sell it. Bring it. When it says it laid laid them at the apostles' feet, this is an act of worship, not not to the apostles, but to Jesus, whom the apostles represented. They were going to manage this. Can you imagine that in the 21st century American church? Let's say I just said next week, everybody... Any, any, you know, any property that you have that's just not the roof over your head, go ahead and sell it, and let's lay it, let's lay it at the altar here next week. That, this, that would cut this church in. Everybody be gone. We'll be back online only. Only. Are you kidding? I've been working my whole life for this, that, or the other. Okay, you don't have any property. Sell your, sell your RV, your boat, your four wheelers. You're, uh, you know, now you're like, I don't like you anymore, pastor, right? But this is the kind of thing that was happening. Anything that they had, it was radical. Anything that they had, they sold it and they brought it. Now, people don't like pastors to talk about money. Not a little bit of money, not even a little bit. Because it, it stings, right? Why does it sting? Because uh, actually, my bank account is attached to my heart. Did you know that? Like you can, I mean, follow the money works for detectives. It also, you know, works to show where your heart is. And uh, these guys were practicing this radical community. It was like, okay, we're going to lay it all, all down if we need to. Voluntarily bringing it. Right, so this is, this is where we find them in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. They are downsizing for the kingdom of Jesus. They sold property. They sold houses. They sold possessions. They sold belongings. They laid it all down. And what were they doing when they laid that down? They were doing two things. They're, first of all, they were funding the mission. They were funding the mission. So take a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Here's what's happening that everybody notices. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through uh, the apostles. Actually, that's 243, but it works. Also, 433. Look at this one. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So what's happening is the apostles who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus, who have witnessed his resurrection, who are preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, are now gathering the church. People are being discipled, and they continue to preach in power. And this message, the gospel message, is going to go through this church in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you think that that took no money? That somehow, magically, that just happened without funding? Who thinks that? It is not true. It takes funding. You got to have food to travel. You got to have people that you got to take care of along the way. You're going to have to meet needs along the way. When you get there, you're going to have to find places to stay and all that kind of stuff. It took funding for the gospel to expand. It was a work of the Holy Spirit through the people of God. And this is, this is, they funded the mission. The second thing that they did is they shared with family. So Acts chapter 2 verse 45, it says they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then in Acts chapter 4 verse 35, it says it was distributed to each as any had need. So remember, they sold everything extra. They brought it, laid it at the apostles' feet, and anybody had need, it was given to them. I have a friend, he said he used to do this in his church, a reverse offering, where they pass the plate. Instead of, instead of passing the plate and, uh, and ta- taking the money, they would fill the plates with money and pass the plate and say, anybody who needs it, take. It's a pretty cool concept. He stopped doing it because all the kids ran out with full pockets of you know, $5 bills and $10 bills. Some of the adults saying, but it's a good concept. That there should be nobody in the body of Christ that doesn't have their need met. Because of the body of Christ should be the tool that God uses to meet these needs. See, it's just more than just showing up on Sunday morning, but it's a taking care of each, each other. And so, this is their radical community. Uh, funded the mission shared with family no one had need the mission went out from jerusalem judea samaria uttermost parts of the earth in fact paul if you follow the scriptures you 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 can follow the deals did you know that business people you can follow the deals that were made the people who funded it the gifts that were given from one church to another to make it happen it's significant it all comes through the people of god it was radical community in acts chapter 2 Now, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, we get good and bad examples of sharing with the spiritual family. So if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, talks about a guy named Barnabas. And one day, I'll spend more time talking about who Barnabas is, but here's what it says. It says, 
Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. Otherwise, this guy was so encouraging, the, guy, the, the, the apostles said, hey, he's got a name, Joseph, but let's, let's, let's give him a new name, Barnabas, because this is, this is his life. He's an encourager. Uh, and, and here's what Barnabas did. Barnabas, a Levite. It means he's from the priestly tribe, a native of Cyprus, who's from that little island off of, uh, of Israel and Lebanon in the Mediterranean. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the good example. He sold the field, he brought the money, he laid it down and said, use it to fund the kingdom and to take care of the people. Okay? But then we get a bad example following this right away in Acts chapter for uh, uh, actually uh, Acts chapter 5 verse 1 it says but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet but Peter said to Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Now, here's the, here's the cruel news. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. That's the word of God. Now, what's the problem here? It doesn't sound so bad that he sold a, sold something and only brought a part of the proceeds, right? I mean, he's a generous dude. He gave something. It's it's it doesn't seem so bad. What's the big deal? And in fact, his wife conspired with him. She also dies if you keep reading on. What's the problem here? Why is it a bad example? Well, they conspired together to lie about the proceeds. This is the problem. It was a completely voluntary act. Even Peter is saying, like, did you not own the property? You didn't have to sell it. Did you not have the proceeds afterwards? You could decide, you know, what you're going to do with it. But you conspired together to lie. This is the problem. And so you brought this part and said you gave the whole. That, that's a God's concern with the heart problem. This is also the first time we see sin impacting the church of Jerusalem in the Bible. It's a sin of the heart related to money. And so this is a bad example. The sin is the lie. Not that they lied to man, but, but to God. And I think sometimes, you know, we... We know what to do with money when it comes to scripture. We know what God has asked of us, what, what he's required of us. And we find ways to appease our own hearts to keep it for ourselves in some particular way. This is the bad example. So here's the big question. How can we then share like family as we do life together? How can we share like family as we do life together? together hear me i'm not saying uh you're either going to be barnabas or ananias and sapphira that will also cut you know the growth of the church in half if you think you're going to die if you didn't give that's not what this is teaching but it's showing us a a good example and a bad example clearly about money 
and how we deal with it. And, 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 and we have to come to this place as believers where we think about how we share like family as we're doing this life together. So let me just give you like five things to think about. Five things to think about that are obvious, but typically maybe we, we don't think about. Number one is this. Recognize everything, everything we have comes from God. Everything any one of us has comes from God. You know, we all worked hard, you know, and some of us have more and some of us have less. And we see that in the scriptures too. We see the widow and just, she has a mite, the widow's mite. That's all she has. She, she, she gives it all. She doesn't have much and some have a lot and they can give a lot but it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little everything that you have comes from god you know i always think about this like for for my family in particular do you know that everything it's easy for me to say everything i have comes from god why because everything i have has been paid to me through four churches through the the giving of people. I don't have anything that doesn't come from God. Nothing. But the truth is, you don't either. It just comes to you in a different way. See, everything we have comes from God. And we have to begin there, understanding that we're stewarding whatever we have. It's his. It's all his. It came from him. It's his. And it's a, it's a gift. Look, you think to yourself, well, he didn't give me that much. <laughs> so some people will do. Will. I have before. Like, dear God, make it rain. <laughs> you know? You ever been there? Like, please. But look, all of us have clothes on our back. None of us, as far as I can tell right now, are going hungry. He's giving us what we need. He's taking care of us. And if there is somebody going hungry or needs clothes, you just need to say the word. We will help. And we do help. So recognize that it all comes from God. Here's the second thing. Have a proper view of treasure. Have a proper view of treasure. Um, You know, apparently the the church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, apparently the stuff they sold, they, they somewhere it switched in them and they didn't view that as their treasure anymore. Their, their property, their possessions. They just thought, okay, this is a way to fund the kingdom, the expansion of the kingdom and to take care of people. We need to have a proper view of treasure. Jesus said this, Matthew six nineteen to 21, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And that is absolutely the truth. Is where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We have a tendency to treasure the wrong things, to hold on to the wrong things. And I'm not trying to play the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm just simply saying, like, let's take a look at what 
our lives look like? And what does it say about where our treasure is? For instance, let me just give you a practical one. What about, what if everyone who has a storage facility that they never visit, that's full of stuff, just sold it all and brought it and laid it at the feet of the finance committee (laughs) at the church, just gave it for the glory of God. You hate going to that storage facility anyway. It's hot. Can't find the key when you get there. There's so much stuff in there. You can't find what you're looking for. What if, just a practical, you know, it, it shows where our treasure is. And Jesus was saying to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, you're going to really have to understand and have a proper view of treasure. You're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is not about what you can accumulate here in the world, but about what you can do to invest in the kingdom that will never end. So have a proper view of treasure. Three, practice giving as discipleship. Practice giving as discipleship. You need to understand that your walk with Christ includes many things. How you pray, how you read the scripture, how you're attuned to the Holy Spirit, how you discipline yourself to behave or not behave, uh, how you reflect him in the world, how you share your faith. It involves many things. It also involves how you give, what you give your money to, what you put it to. Because remember, everything you have comes from him. So practice giving. As a part of discipleship, it's like praying. It's like reading the Bible. It's like going to church. I have a friend, an older mentor in my life, used to say to me when I was younger, I had this, like, when I was very early on in ministry, we had literally no money. Like, none. You know what I mean? Like, zero. Like, we would look for quarters under the couch and in the car so that Angela and I could go share one ice cream at Dairy Queen. You know, like one for me, one for you, one for me, one for you. That was it. That was the date because we just, we just had no money. And I justified in my head at that point, like I have no money, so I don't have to, how am I going to talk? And I was talking to this older mentor as a young, young man. And he was like, bro, <laughs> this is exactly how he talked, bro. You wouldn't show up to the house of God without a gift. I was like, you wouldn't, I would. (laughs) And he went on to say, you need to make a plan. Like if you're giving nothing, you need to get to $50 a month at least, you know, you can do this. And then as as you begin to grow, then what comes in, you make it your goal to give at least 10% for the work. Of the ministry. You're not exempt because you're a pastor. You're not exempt because you do the work of the Lord. You're not exempt because you don't have any money. And I saw the Lord use that for his glory, for our good, and for his glory. So don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Practice this giving thing as discipleship. Number four, you do your part and I'll do mine. You do your part and I'll do mine, which means all of us have a part to play when it comes to sharing like family, living life together. And if you equate it dollars and cents, it's not the same for everybody. What I give may not be the same as what you give. 
for lots of reasons. But you have a part and I have a part. We all have a part. So if you say, I'm just going to rely on the other people to do their part, then the body of Christ misses out on the expansion, the funding of ministry, and the taking care of the brothers and sisters to some degree because you're not doing your part. I have to do my part. You have to do your part. You might think to yourself, I can't give much. That's okay. I'm not asking you to give much. I'm asking you to give to God. To share like family. To live life together like the Acts 2 church was doing. Do your part and I'll do, do mine. Here's part of that. When you're in the need, this is wholly un-American, what I'm getting ready to see. But when you're in need, let the church know. Don't go it alone. We have ministries set up to meet common needs of people in this body of Christ who need help paying their electric bill, paying for counseling. We, we help in so many different ways. Don't be afraid to ask. Tell somebody in your life group. They'll tell us. If you don't want to talk to us, tell us directly. We've all, all, every pastor on our staff, we know what it's like at one time or another not to have any money. We know what that's like to be in a hard place financially. We know what it's like. So don't be, uh, just tell us so we can help meet the need. You do your part, I'll do mine. And here's the fifth thing. And I think this is really important for us to, to get our minds around. There are a lot of things in the world that you can give to. A lot of ways that you can invest the things that God has given you. Prioritize the local church as you give. Prioritize the local church as you give. There's a lot of passions you might have. There's a lot of ways that you might think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And honestly, for our family, we give outside the local church to things that we're passionate about and all those kinds of things. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But prioritize the local church as you give because it is the local church that will last, that stands the test of time, that expands, and that will always be here In fact, it is the plan of Christ, beginning with the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2. Prioritize the churches you give. Now, here's how I want to end today. All of us probably need to take a step now in this arena. So I'll just be honest with you. Giving in the last 18 months through the pandemic, especially the last six months, has been very sporadic. Like, if you're me, it's the kind of, you know, one week I sleep well, the next week I don't sleep, you know, the next week. Because it's so up and down. We have no trends post-pandemic to know, like, how it's going to go. It's probably the same out there in business. You don't know. The trend lines have all changed. And so we're completely, and this is exactly where we should be, dependent on the Holy Spirit. To provide every week and we're blind. We don't know what's going to come. He works through the people. 
Money doesn't just fall from the sky, but he works through the people. And giving has been sporadic. I will tell you that we have, we have always managed to what we have. That's what we do. That's our commitment. We don't spend more than we have ever. But what it does is it slows down ministry in a time when ministry needs to be done. Maybe even more so. And everybody has a part. We have a common mission, a common ministry. And then it's just everybody needs to take a step. You know, there are more needs now than there have ever been since I've been here in 10 years. People in need. Either they lost jobs or they got behind while they lost a job. They just got a job again. They have medical bills, all this, all this stuff. There's more need than there ever has been. We had hoped to start a counseling center in 2021. We've backed that up to 2022 because we did not think, based on the giving, this is the time to launch a capital campaign for a new counseling center. But that counseling center is so needed, so needed in our arena. We'd like to give a lot of money to people in Lebanon who right now, if you haven't paid attention to Lebanon, we have a partnership over there. They have nothing, no milk, no medicine. It's back to square one in Lebanon. And we got to figure out how to help. We need here on our team, we need a pastor of counseling. Right now we have an elder voluntarily leading our biblical counseling ministry that literally every year has hundreds of clients. We are, we are helping so many people, but we need someone focused on that every day. And, and we, we hesitate to bring somebody on because the giving is, is sporadic. And we need to expand existing ministries. We need to expand our next-gen ministry to students and kids. We need to expand our ministry to women and men. And we're just kind of in this like, okay, we've got to manage to, to, to what we have. And I tend to think that if everybody took a step, everybody did their part, little or big, whatever it is, that we would be fully funded for everything God has called us to do. I think it's all here. It's just we have to be, we just have to be faithful. So maybe, maybe you need to take a step. Maybe you've never given anything. Maybe you just need to make a first time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, in faith, give an offering to God. That's a great step. Maybe, maybe you've given sort of sporadically and you need to become like a regular giver. And I'm, I'm going to get you guys to go ahead and put this up on the screen about the how to give while I'm talking about this. Maybe you need to become a regular giver, meaning that you give every month or every two weeks or every week, but it's regular, consistent. Maybe you need to become a tither. Maybe you do give regularly, but you don't give 10%. Of everything that God gives you. That's sort of the model. And so maybe you need to step into. Okay we as a family are going to move to a 10% uh, mode. And maybe you are there. And maybe you need to give extravagantly at this time. Like above and beyond what you would normally do. Because this is time for that. Look we're going to manage to what we have. and, And God is providing but there's so much more we need to do. There's so much more we need to do. So much need that needs to be met in the 4B area. And we want to be able to do it. 
And so here's my call to you. Take a step. So here's some ways. These are easy ways. I would actually give you permission to hold up your phone and get that code if you need it. You can text that number. You can go to the website. You can give their envelopes in the boxes on the way out the door. You can go totally old school and drop it in the box. But here's the thing. All of us, me included, we have a part to play to share like family. And it's about funding the kingdom and taking care of the community. Funding the kingdom and taking care of the community. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you? Father, we come before you as a church, first of all, thanking you for every way that you have ever provided for us in ways we know and ways we don't even know. We're grateful. And I thank you for each person, God, that gives faithfully and shares like family. And Lord, we look at this model in Acts chapter 2, and we would call it radical. (laughs) You're really selling everything or some things and laying it down for the kingdom but God I pray that you would give us this heart an eternal perspective that stores up treasures in heaven Father is more concerned about meeting the needs of people advancing your mission than our even our own our own goals and objectives Help us to align with yours. I I pray, God, that you would call people in this church to give in new ways, to take steps, whether it's just to, to give for the first time or whether it's to give extravagantly. Only your Holy Spirit can do that work in people's lives. I could never manufacture that on my own. Nobody could manufacture it in mine and Angela's life. It was your spirit. And so, God, would you work in that way? And would you allow us to see the fruit of that and the blessing of being obedient and worshiping that way and expand our ministry because of it? Because because we're open-handed and we understand it all comes from you. So we do tangibly now just, just lay everything at your feet. Say, use it. You have a blank check with our lives, including our money. Use it for the glory of God and the good of people and keep us unified, heart and soul for the sake of the gospel. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.